0: This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The opinions expressed in this episode are not to be construed as medical advice.
1: Welcome to Demystify Beauty, a weekly podcast about creating a transparency in the beauty space. I'm Mackenzie Westmore.
0: And I'm Dr. Paul Rance.
1: How are you, Dr. Nassif?
0: Having yeah, a busy week as usual. It's great to see you. You know, um... Great to see it's, you. Now, where are you now? You're in Hemnes. I'm right? in Vegas. You're in- uh,
1: yeah i'm in henderson
0: are you enjoying I'm loving
1: it? it i love it i don't like the heat i you know me i'm i'm an l.a girl so the the heat gets to me a little bit i actually did pass out the other day not gonna lie
0: <laughs> what
1: <laughs> i spent a little too much time outside and i passed out i my first had my first heat exhaustion so yay first heat exhaustion um but other than that, I, I freaking love it. I, I love the area. I love the people. I, I just I, I just love everything about it. There's no traffic. Like, wow. I know. It's probably
0: <laughs> 120 degrees out there right now. So you know. It
1: is. Yeah. A pool is a blessing. So that, that, that has become my saving grace. And I never liked pools until now. Like <laughs>
0: right, one air conditioning is a blessing. My goodness.
1: <laughs> air conditioning is a godsend. Okay, but remember,
0: so. when you're ready to drive, yes. probably from your house a good 35 minutes away, for that good Mexican food, let me know.
1: Oh yes, you've got to get. You've got to tell me. I want to go try it. I'm going to try it.
0: Remember, it's I Micho Micho-, Micho-, Khan. Micho Wait a second.
1: I've heard of it. I've heard good things about now, that.
0: This is way out in um, Micho- Centennial, Summerlin,
1: right? Oh, Centennial. Okay. Because I go to Red Rock. Yeah, no, I that, love Red Rock.
0: It's it's a little to the right, further down Red Rock's. <laughs>
1: okay
0: so what are I'll we check it out so i want to hear about our wonderful guest
1: So excited for our guest today, because this is taking beauty on the inside. So I want to introduce the amazing Dr. Penn, who is a licensed clinical psychologist in Los Angeles, and his clientele consists of adult men and women who are seeking to expand their awareness and overcome their dysfunctional thinking and feelings and acting out on, and issues that are explored and worked through in his practice. So with that, Dr. Penn, I will let you take it away and- Tell us, tell us all about beauty on the inside. <laughs>
2: well, it's, it's uh, it's good to meet you. It's good to meet you, Dr. Nassif. It's a, uh, it's a pleasure. You know, it's funny because when, when, when you reached out to me, McKinsey, a while ago, that like a day or two before, maybe a day before you reached out to me, I was talking to my wife and I kind of felt like Nora Ephron. And I said, I don't like my neck. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like what? Yeah. So, I mean, she wrote that book. I I'm, I'm sure you've heard of it before. It's like I I, I hate my neck. It was just it's, it's such a great title. But uh it was just so funny like like I was just like thinking, you know, cuz I'm in my 60s and it's like you just like sit there and you go, "Wait a minute. Who's looking back at me?" And it's one of those things where I just said to myself, "God, I don't like my neck." And and it's it's like, "Oh,
0: you found the right person, <laughs> my friend. When you're ready to have some fun, you know, you're local, we can uh, do a little exam and take care of you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll, yeah.
2: I'll come in for a you got the best time.
0: guy here. <laughs>
2: yeah. So, anyway, so that's that's what I was thinking at the same time you called me. So, kind of oh, serendipitous. So May I ask, how do you guys know each other?
1: I've known Dr. Penn for many, many, many years. Um, dear friend, and uh, we go way back, Dr. Penn. And, you know, he's, he's somebody that's always been there for me. Uh, when I need to bounce an idea off of, off of him, he's, he's, he's there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Mackenzie's just, she's just a force of nature and she's wonderful. And so, you know, you know, those people in your life that you just feel better every time you see them. It's kind of like the same thing.
0: Yeah. yeah. Ooh, isn't that a beautiful crawl for me? Look at that. Rick. That is so
1: <laughs> sweet. Making <laughs> hey, me fly. Oh hey, Dr. And
0: so I know. what, so what is your wheelhouse, if I'm being asked
2: uh, what I, what I, my, the, the best person that I could work with is uh, is what I call high functioning erotics. <clears throat> I like working with very smart people. I like working with people that have a sense of insight uh, and an ability to, you know, to really go deep. So, um, you know, when I worked in, when I started, when you work in training, I'm sure, you know, this too. When you work in training, you take whoever walks in through the door, or you know, you're in a you're in a clinic and you're getting your hours. And when I worked with lower functioning people, I just wasn't good at it. I just got exhausted. Uh, I was, you know, I was like, I was looking at my watch. Wow. you know, I was, you know, every hour felt like two hours. <laughs> so um, you were bored. I was bored. Uh, I would be thinking about what I was having for lunch. And then for a minute I was, oh my god <laughs> and then for a minute I was thinking it was my fault and then I, I eventually realized that my patients were literally hypnotizing me and and not on purpose but they were just like just like there and their and their psychology was just so like I'm trying to talk up here and they're just like and I realized that so I, I've been fortunate that I have a very curated practice, I, I work only with people that I want to. And obviously, they have to want to work with me. But it's a pleasure when you find yeah. someone to come in. And it's just like the hour just goes like very quickly. And it's a, it's it's I learn from it. It's wonderful. So I, I've been very fortunate that way. And I see a lot of couples. too. Yeah, I see a ton of couples.
1: We have a bunch of questions, but right off, the, I, I just need to ask a question because this has been a running joke that I've seen in movies yeah. that when somebody goes to see a psychologist, psychiatrist, they kick their shoes off, and that's a sign that the hour has begun. Is that true?
0: <laughs>
2: I haven't heard. that. I haven't heard. That. Really? You know, no. If someone looks, you know, some people lie down. You know, I was trained in analysis, so uh, but. But I don't really do analysis because analysis is kind of it's a rich man's sport, you have or a rich woman's sport, you have to go four or five times a week and it's exhausting. But people lie down on the couch. You know, when you lie down on the couch in therapy, you you tend to have more regressed memories. It's very it's Mm, very vulnerable because you know you're you're like you're like prone, like you can't you can't escape. So there's a level of trust and um so that's always fun.
1: And what made you interested in becoming a clinical psychologist?
2: Well, I'm the walking wounded. I had, I had, I had really Mm. shitty parents and it was either I'm going to deal with one of my favorite sayings is either we deal with our issues or our issues will deal with us. Ah. So after my uh, first wife left me, I was just a wreck and she left me for good reason. You know, I was a narcissist and I didn't know I was a narcissist and, um, And then when you when you have what's called in my field, it's called a narcissistic injury where, you know, you realize that, you know, you think you're funny, but really your fly's undone the whole time. And that's what they're laughing at. So I went into analysis and um, it really, really helped me. Uh, I was in two analysis and different times in my life. And it's just either we deal with our issues or they're going to deal with us. And I decided I'd rather deal with my issues. You went into it analysis as
0: the specialty, correct?
2: Well, I I thought I was going to be a psychoanalyst. But, you know, by the time I got, because um, I, I had my own company in my 20s. I was very, it was very well known. I was successful. But then I, I pivoted after my, my first wife left me. And um, I went into analysis because I think it's, the one, what I've learned in retrospect is it teaches you how to think. It really teaches you how to think about the human condition. So it, it's you don't have to be an analyst to get your, your doctorate in psychoanalysis. And then when you're like almost 40 and you've got your degree, then then if you want to be a psychoanalyst, you have to have a control patient for like three years, And then you have to have a psychoanalyst that you pay to give you supervision. And I just needed to get on with my life. And I I think I made the exact right decision to do that. So
0: so, since you were a narcissist. Yes. And you needed analysis of yourself. Yes. Who did that for you? Were you able to do it yourself?
2: No, I, I was in, I was with a, a very well known Anna, a Panasian, yeah, very very well known, and um, you know it's one of those things where you're just you're just there, and you're and you're and you're very humbled. I was very humbled, and I, I think what I think what was good is I was open, I was open to saying like you know whatever whatever I was doing up to this stage of my life just was not working for me. Like, whatever was going on for me, and I I needed someone else's eyes that you could learn to trust to say, I remember one of the things he said to me early on in my analysis. He goes, Gary, you're looking for a happiness. Wait
0: a minute. Did you say high penis or
2: happiness? Happiness. (laughs) Happiness. So I thought that was really funny. (laughs) <laughs> True as well, but I thought it was really funny. <laughs> that that is extreme.
1: Yeah, I just I want to know what is it on, from you, Dr. Penn? Why do you think people struggle? Because so many do struggle with self love. What what are some of the, what are the some of the main reasons that you see?
2: All right, I'll give you I'll give you a clue. It's it's one of two people. Okay, mm-hmm. um, the first one starts with, it's three, three letters. The first one starts with an M and ends with an M. And the second one starts with a D and ends with a D. Okay. Mom and dad. Mom and dad. You you (gasps) just, you know, look, we, we have, when you have, when you have shitty parents, when you have bad parents who don't love you well, or just broken, it's kind of like, you would consider yourself a Christian or you would consider yourself a Jew or a Muslim or what have you, just because your parents tell you a story. You know, they'll tell you this story. Hmm. This is what happened and Jesus is gonna, he's this place called heaven and if you accept him, you'll do this. Or the Jews will say, that's crazy walking on water. That doesn't make any sense, but it makes sense that Moses parts the Red Sea. So then I'll be a Jew. And if my parents tell me that I'm unlovable, that I'm not interesting to them, I'm going to feel like I'm unlovable, or I'm going to feel that I'm worthless. So, you just hear a story because when we're young, uh, parents are gods to us. I mean, they're just like they're just gods, they're like from Mount Olympus. And I, when I heard your uh, your interview with your father, that was a terrific interview that you that you both did. I don't know if this is to be true, but it sounds like your father's just terrific. He is. He's a lovely yeah. man, you know. He and is. That's, He's amazing. Uh, yeah, and that's a blessing to have that kind of relationship.
1: And both my parents are. I, I will be honest; both are. And it's interesting you say that about religion because they are under the the basis of Christianity but they never forced it upon Mm me and I interestingly enough then as I got into my 20s I became a church goer and I became the one that became more religious um, even though I I was not raised in a house like Mm -hmm. that you know I went to church once in a blue moon but it was very very open-minded home very loving home I was always told I was special and and it's interesting with what you're saying because the mom and dad factor that is a big factor you're absolutely right I I can see it now
2: no, and you so know, it's, that's interesting.
0: What... it's interesting from hearing you say that because um, I was, you know, raised in a typical Lebanese household. Even my parents were born here, but they foul. And, you know, it was, you know, a lot verbally abusive. Because it was normal. That's what how, you know, their treaty and marriages and, you know, families were like. It was interesting when I got married for my first marriage.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I thought arguing and all that stuff was all norm. And um, it affected again everything, like you said, in my life because of watching my parents. You know, and um my mom was very expressive in her love. My father was a little bit more stoic. Uh very tough, you know, tough, crotchety kind of old guy. But he mm-hmm. was all when he had. And the funny thing is, when I realized your parents, like you just said, are the most important part of how you really come out, uh, and then when I had my own kids after listening to this, you know, to thinking about that, I had my three boys with the first marriage when I, you know, obviously we had our own difficulties and subsequently divorced, mm-hmm. and we both weren't happy. And how... Her, I raised my kids then compared to, I have a baby. I'm 61. I have a two and a half year. Well, she'll be three in October. And I have a wonderful, you know, I'm friends with the ex. And I have a wonderful wife. And very nurturing, very loving. And I'm, you know, deeply in love. And with our baby, it's, plus again, she's a girl. It's absolutely um so incredible about when you talk about love especially to your children
2: it's interesting
0: as i learned as i got older and more mature you know Mackenzie, because i have my three boys which are older i was always Mm -hmm. very loving but now in an older age and i'm a little bit more right it's actually easier to give out
2: Mm -hmm. especially the baby yeah yeah it's it's such a joy
1: it is, and I, I find it so interesting. As the three of us speak, um, we're all on our second marriages. <laughs> um, <laughs> something that just caught my my ear, um, and I do find that interesting. You know, from my perspective, you know, I because I grew up with such a loving household, loving parents, but at the same time, there was something obviously that I was questing for in, in the wrong places. Uh, my my first go around, and and I I know my mistakes. I know where I went wrong, and I know where I went right. And it's it's interesting that even though I did have such loving parents, I I really had a, a tough go the first time around. Mm-hmm. And I I do find it interesting that the the, the parental and and like you said, Doctor Nasif, you know, with with my first. Um, husband, because of the the Italian um, New Jersey background, it was a, a louder household, and and I'm not used to that. I'm a very quiet, meek, you know me. I'm 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 very simple, quiet little thing, and I just I shut up. <laughs> um, but you know, I just find that that very fascinating and interesting.
0: Yeah, that I mean that that is it's 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 something that you know we've all keep learning, and um, so yeah. by the way. So, Dr. Penn, when you go into your office, mm-hmm.
2: from what you do, what does that first session look like? You, yeah, I'm always very hopeful. Like I, I I'm, I'm. You know, I I hear stories that are, some of them are really horrific, you know, people who've been incested and beat and parents dying and alcoholism and bring, you know, just really horrible stuff. Not always. I mean, some, most, some people, whatever, it's like, you know, just middle of the road stuff. But the, I'm very hopeful in my work because if you come to see me, if someone says, Gary, do you like, do you get depressed in your job? And I go, no, because if you come to see me and you're 40 years old, let's say, I've never met you before this very moment. Like I've never met you, Dr. Nassif, until this very, very moment. You've lived 61 years in your life. I have never met you. So I'm not taking responsibility for whatever happened to you. But I know that by you coming to see me, you will feel better. Your life will level up. Mm-hmm. You'll start to deal with your issues instead of having your issues dealing with you. So I'm very hopeful, and um, I'm 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 confident, but I'm also like grateful that someone comes to see me and they and they give me that trust. I mean, obviously, you may have I have a reputation, which is a good reputation, but you you also have to earn it. You have to you have to give people something where they could say, oh, okay, that's important to me. And so that, that is just, it's, it's really fun. It's challenging. I learn a lot. I I know one thing about being a psychologist. I learned this early on that I can never go anywhere with my patient that I cannot go myself. If I'm uncomfortable, let's say with hating my father and you hate your father. I can't help you through that. Or if I have all this sexual shame and you wanna be sexually free, it's gonna be hard. I'm not gonna be able to really help you. So it kind of forces, it forces me to kind of, if there's any roadblocks, if there's any clogs in the drain that I have to look at that. So it's kind of like almost working out a lot uh, with what I do kind of helps me in that way.
1: Now, I'm, I'm curious, because we're talking about self-love and, and people deal with so many different issues. I mean, from anxiety, dysfunctional thoughts, depression. Yeah. Uh, what, are, what are some of your best tips that, that you would give people that are suffering?
2: Well, when, when, any, when anyone mentions fu- uh, suffering, I, I always, well, I don't always, but I often think of Viktor Frankl in his you know, seminal book, Man's Search for Meaning, where he said, you know, you have to be worthy of the suffering. Like if you're gonna be suffering, you have to learn from it. It just can't be, oh, this just happened to me and um, I'm gonna be bitter. Like you have to understand um, that there's a sense of you outside of the pain that you've been through. And we have to find that core sense of you that could stand up. And if someone really, really was Awful to you, eventually you'll face, you know, you'll have to face Vader. I've had people that have been molested, and I, you know, I've had, they've eventually went and found the person who did it. If that person was married, they'd call their spouse and say, This is what this person does. Keep them away from your family. And they really get empowered that way by, by facing Vader and not living, but also expression. It's really important to express. Well, I, have, I had a patient come in and said she was, uh, she was molested when she was by her father. And I said to her, well, who else have you told? And she said, nobody. And I said, well, do you have a best... This is our first session, too, so it was a really, really ambitious of me. And I said, uh, do you have a best friend, a best girlfriend? She goes, yes. I go, well, on your way home, um, I want you to think about calling her and telling her what happened to you. And... um she did and her friend had her own story because you know if, if something bad happened to you 15 20 30 40 50 years ago if you keep if you keep that within you it's still alive if the, it, it's still living like you haven't put it down yet because you're like you're full of the shame and your embarrassment and you feel like there's something wrong with you god forbid if you if the molestation felt good you know, oh, Jesus, oh boy, you know, and there's all this recrimination. So it's good to express instead of depress. But it does lead to depression. Depression is like a verb, like you're depressing all these awful things instead of expression. You know, the thing about therapy is you want to be expansive. I want my patients to be expansive. I don't want them to be constrictive. You know, I don't want them to hold it in. I want them to be extended. So when you use a word like I'm going, you know, I see a psychologist mm-hmm. versus I see a clinical
0: psychologist. What's
2: no, I'm the, the difference? I'm the same. No, I'm the same. I'm, I'm a, I am mean, you could be a research psychologist, but I'm a clinical psychologist. Yeah, yeah.
0: clinical means you see patients.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Like we're clinicians, we see patients.
2: Yeah, yeah. This is a great interview. I love this. I thought this, <laughs> this is really fun. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, for example, so I know you talked about self-love, and I have a question, and I don't know if you do this at all, and I know we have a list of questions that we still we need to get through and all that. Mackenzie mm-hmm. drives that, but I have one question. So, and I don't think you do this, or maybe it's not what you want to do. I have a lot of patients that will come in, and I, every patient gets a physical exam, history and physical, from their own personal doctor. Mm-hmm. But what I do is if I feel that there may be a little bit of a personality disorder um, or a depression, um, basically a body dysmorphic disorder, anything like that, I have them get a psychologist versus or psychologist or psychiatrist workout to get them yep. approved for surgery. Sure. Right. Now, you don't do that, correct? Or you no. only deal with, the, again, the self-love.
2: Yeah. I, 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 I don't do that, no. If, if someone has a personality disorder, I usually don't work with them. That's, that's, that's a very a tough hill to climb. Um, maybe I will, maybe if someone's, you know, the thing about personality disorders is it's egosyntonic. Like they don't feel like they have a problem, right? Like if, I'm, if I have paranoid personality disorder, it's an axis two, which means it's egosyntonic. Like, I don't think I have a problem. I think you have a problem for not being as careful as I am. You know, if axis one is, I don't wanna be depressed. I don't want to be anxious so i'm anxious to work on myself but um personality disorders can be really tough i can understand why you why you uh, look out for that that makes sense
1: do you see people though that that um i mean maybe they do have body dysphoric disorder um and helping people through that where maybe they end up in dr Nassif's office thinking that they're completely ugly and he's probably looking at them going what are you talking about I mean, have you seen that in your office?
2: I I, I do. I you know I'm I'm very like um, if if people um, want to work on themselves as far as um, uh, start working on their bodies and work you know doing having some surgery. I, I I think that usually that unless it's something like Dr. Nassif, what you're saying, like you have to be very careful when you're going to put the knife. I think that's very like okay, you know let's you know let's talk about it a little bit but i don't think it's like okay we got to roll up our sleeves and see what's wrong with you next. right <laughs> you should just be really happy with the way you are it's like no i mean i go out and yeah. spend a lot of money on a jacket or something and i'm going i feel better about myself like is that is is that as vacuous as saying you know i don't like my neck um no i don't know it's like almost <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's like it's not you know on the on the on the mount everest of um, of you know spiritual awakening but you know we, we we i we have to start from where we are not at, not from where we want to be and if it's a low impact thing and i want to get this done or someone wants to get this done you know when i when i when i was in my 20s or early th- my 30s and i started to lose my hair I didn't even know it, but the world told me, oh, Gary, oh, your, your, your wow. forehead's a little higher. Oh, gee, thank you. Oh, oh, Gary, you know, all of a sudden the world told me. It wasn't that I was like, you know, pacing back and forth, like, let me find out what's wrong with me. Like, I knew, I knew, or like, you know, I don't have great skin, so I was always like a little older, guessed a little older, and it's like, oh, Jesus, okay. so. It wasn't that I thought that until the world told me that. So then you then you get You're it, and t- then is, is it reasonable to say, can I go to Dr. Nassif, get this taken care of, and move on with my life? Sure.
1: Now, with that, on that same note of dealing with Dr. Nassif and the psycho- psychological standpoint, mm-hmm. you know, being that you are considered the leading expert in relationships and couples and in therapy, have you um, had patients where one gets plastic surgery or anything uh, physically changed about them and it's had a negative impact on the relationship?
2: Sure. I mean, you, you could imagine, right? You, you, because, look, people, you can do what you can do, but people will, who they are in their core will get revealed you know, as much as, you know, you could put this, right. you know, it just will get, if, if I feel ugly on the inside, um, you know, it's like, it's really, really tough, but it, it depends if, if the relationship is strong, like so someone, someone's not trying to prove something, someone not, someone's not trying to prove, like I want other women, for example, to think that I'm like handsome and desirable. Like if, if that's, in my unconscious or if that's part of the equation or my wife thinks, you know, I want, you know, I want other men to desire me or something. Um, that's lighting a fuse. Like you may say it's harmless, so I'm not going to act out, but it's the law of unintended consequences that you just have to be kind of, Hmm. you got to have to be kind of careful of.
0: So in McKinsey that actually, I mean, This is very part of my
1: story. I
2: mean, this is all very deep. Yeah,
1: it is. And it's getting me a little emotional. I'm not going to lie. I got to
0: tell you, I clearly (laughs) noticed that.
1: Trying hard not to cry. Did you? Okay, yeah. I'm trying hard not to cry. Yeah, I clearly
2: noticed that. Let me, listen. Uh, Could you tell me why that hit you the way it did?
1: I mean, it first started with uh, talking about my father. And as you could tell from the interview, I love my parents so much. And they're getting older. I've moved, and i'm I'm thrilled that I get to drive back tomorrow. I mean my son's having surgery, but I'm thrilled I get to drive back and see them but it's it's gotten more difficult now that I've moved away so that it started with that, and then when you started to talk about some of the other things that just like ticked another box, and then now to talk about something that that has been in the press and and has been out there. Um, you know, the fact that, that my husband was honest with me, that as I was going down this road of, of fillers and trying to fix myself, because like you said, I was told I looked bad. I was told by the public, by my, my, um, bosses that I did not look okay. And to go through years and years of that, trying to fix that problem only to find out that my husband was losing attraction that was, that was painful. That was extremely painful. And, and Dr. Nassif knows, you know, obviously we know the whole story. Um, but that that's why this is, it's, it's interesting because Dr. Nassif you and I have been through so many podcasts now together and this is the first time where it's, 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 this one's getting me.
2: Mm.
0: Well, that's where that whole self love, comes back. especially you went through a lot of those problems, issues and, um, especially you now you're away from your parents. Listen, I get it. I mean, I'm 61. Yeah. I don't have any more parents. It's hard thinking about this because I start thinking about some of these things just like you do. So now, yeah, this is a very general question, Doctor yeah. Pen, and I don't really know if you can give. Um, like someone may ask me one of the best tips for skincare. Yeah, I can give that. But <laughs> oh, what are <in> the best tips? <laughs> yep. And especially a lot of the kids are dealing with this, you know, now post COVID mm-hmm. stuff, or anxiety. But mm-hmm. when you have anxiety or dysfunctional or intrusive thoughts,
2: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people I know have. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And depression, I mean, is there, or depression. I mean, you can have a bunch of those. You can have them combined, obviously. But is there anything jolly that you can tell? These folks that have some of these issues,
2: best practices of what to do, what advice, mm. what tips? Good one. What, what comes to my mind, it's a great question, but what, what, what comes to my mind is when I'll ask someone, so tell me you know, what, what you're feeling. Like, so doc, tell me what you're feeling. And you go, oh, I, I don't know. And I'll say, well, take a minute. And whenever I say take a minute, there's always an answer behind that. So, so often we just, we have these feelings and we we're very like precious with them and we keep them within our own psychology. We, I I have a saying that uh, I think it's one of the, one of the things that have helped the most, the the people the most throughout my career um, is that one of the, one of the hallmarks, one of the, one of the hallmarks of psychological health is the ability to hate your parent well. Because huh. so many people Jeez. feel really, really bad about having negative feelings towards their parents. Now, sometimes, I know I use the word hate on purpose because it's provocative, right? It's a provocative word. Sometimes it's a capital H hate, right? My parents molested me, my parents you know, abandoned me, my, my, my father beat the crap out of me, like, or whatever it is. There's, you know, there's a capital H hate, but a lot of times it's just a small H hate. My father was always working. He was never around. My mom was a little depressed. The point is, if you could if you could be okay with that and, and you could hate them in a healthy way, you also get to be able to love them because you're not loving them because you feel guilty for being angry with them. Wow. So if you could just, like, if you can, if you can love them, um, even though you're like, you know, you know, dad, you moved away from me when I was a kid and I, I hate you for that. And, you know, and then you maybe could work it through if if the parents are still alive and something. So if we can be, if we can be as open with our emotions, because if we're all like, if we're all like this and we're all, you know, clenched and, and this, and it's like, Like we're so precious, like we don't want, I'm not a victim. I don't want, you know what? Sometimes someone will say to me, Gary, uh, how how, how are you doing? I go, I'm insecure. And they go, well, how come? I go, just bad parents. (laughs) It always gets a laugh. I think it's it's funny. So it's just like a get (laughs) out of jail free card. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like if you could be conversational about it and you don't think People get really miserable because they think of the bad things that happened to them. Mm-hmm. It had something to do if, uh, for, with, uh, with them. Now, m- maybe, but a lot of times it had nothing to do with you. Well, you know, uh, I've worked with people who were um, adopted. And from the vajayjay to the new parent, they were just right there, right? From the very beginning, they're taking I mean, his, his child, right? So all the imprinting is with the new parents. To, to the 40 years later 50 years later they they will be thinking why wasn't i good at, why wasn't I good enough to be kept wow it will be a core feeling of theirs what was wrong with me that I was given away and it's yeah. just, it's heartbreaking it's absolutely heartbreaking it's just like oh like such it's such a shame just it's just it just breaks my heart when they say you know it's like okay
0: so they obviously are told to meet, or when they feel it's appropriate to age, yeah, they were orphaned yeah. that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me ask you another question. That. You keep talking about the parents.
2: Sure, it could be it could be neighbors. It could be it could be growing okay. up
0: in a, in a right, war. But, but but let's say parents. The question is, I mean, listen, I didn't end the best upbringing with my parents. They loved mm-hmm. me, but it was a great, very dysfunctional family. Yeah, you know, it's caused some problems with my, God rest his soul, my brother, and then my mm-hmm. sister, mm-hmm. and uh, probably me less, but when can you actually put on your big boy pants, big girl pants, or big non-binary pants, and deal with some of that yourself and say, okay, you know, how much of this really is me? Yes, oh, I, they yes. screwed me up, but hey, I got to take some responsibility.
1: Right.
2: Well, you're, you're absolutely right, but this, you know, doing what I'm suggesting is actually taking responsibility because it's not easy to be angry or to hate your parents. And it doesn't, it could be, it doesn't have to be parents per se, but it's like, what I'm saying is that's part of the process. And it's not like just because I had bad parents that I get, uh, I get a free pass. You have to go into therapy. You have to work it through it. You have to understand your own situations, like what you were taught. Like if I, if I grew, grew up in a home, like in the deep South, and I was a racist, there's a world that exists where I'm like, you know, 30 years old and say, you know what? I'm not going to be a racist anymore. I think that's silly. I'm not going to do that. And like we have that opportunity to become a free thinker the one of the one of the one of the north stars of my work is i want you to be a free thinker i want you to think about all the all the things that you take for granted like all the things you take for granted like you know in the is just 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 become conscious try to become conscious and a free thinker but you're absolutely right doctor that at the end of the day we have to wake up and we have to be, oh, our, nice. be our best selves and to, and to lean on, well, this and this and this. And it's really perceptive of you because I'm thinking, I'm glad you actually said it because it's very informative. But when, when we deal with it, then it doesn't, it's, it, it dissipates. It's not, it's not like there all the time. It's like, like it dissipates because we, we've dealt with it. And it's settled business. It, it's part of my. It's part of our history, but it's not activated. When we don't deal with it, it tends to activate itself.
0: So that leads to part two for myself. And listen, you know, we have a list of questions, but quite honestly, I mean, we're kind of going down this wonderful rabbit hole. <laughs> so you have someone who is a self-loather. Sure. How do you get them to like yourself, like themselves? Is it years of therapy, exercises,
2: oh, hypnotherapy? Oh. I mean, what the heck?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Well,
2: well, look, not, not liking yourself, and it depends to the degree. Some people, it's hard to help them, but it, it is. It's tough. But if someone's not liking themselves, again, it's, it's because somehow the world has told them that. Sometimes the world has told them that. Now, it also could be when I was, you know, when I was young, when I was, like, um, in my, like, teens or something, I, I was just a bad kid. I, I I just was so insecure that the only way I felt good is to put other people down. It was just really bad. So there, there are things that we can do to, you know, how to win friends and influence people, how to learn uh, how, to, how to, like, fake it till you make it. I've had people that are were so unable just to be fluid with their thinking, or, or or with their conversing with people. I would have them join Second City. I would have them join um, uh, improv groups, and to go take classes, and to learn how just to say you know just to go with the supposition and shamelessly. Just I, I was talking to a new patient the other day. And I, I I recommended that she goes to improv, and it was terrifying to her. This is a really smart, educated woman, and the idea of going and saying, you know, a hippopotamus walked, knocked on my front door, your line, and she would like, oh, is there a right? Like she couldn't say the line that's supposed, whatever, li- you know, whatever line you are supposed to say. So it's 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 about loosening up. And part of it, you know, is what's such a joy for me is to love my patients in all of their shame and to have compassion for them and to care for them and, and to, and to see them in their darkness and to say, let it out. It's okay. And when you get to be a doctor, you get to be someone who's well-known. Uh, and you're able to say that it—it's it, healing sometimes. Like it's healing uh, to say you're you're whatever you're feeling. Of course you feel bad about yourself. Of course you have self-loathing. How else were you? And then they start to think about it. You mean it's not because I am objectively horrible? No. It's possible that the world told you something different. And, or if they're, if they are really bad, then I'd say you have to learn how to be graceful. You have to learn how to be, you know, kind to people. And that, that would be something like you can't sit there and say, Hey, fatso, how you doing? And then the person punches you in the nose. It's like, why did he do that? Or why did she do that? Like, no, you have to, you have to learn how to be kind. Uh, and it's, you know, it's something that I've learned. I've been very, I've been, you know, it's one of the gifts of, of being married to a wonderful woman. It's like, I, I my, my kindness factor is just gone up exponentially. It's just like, oh, mm. oh, look what I was missing all these years. This,
0: this, I gotta tell you, I don't know. You know, we never even got into it. It's been amazing.
2: You know,
0: we have to set part two of this. If you have time, yeah. Dr. Yeah, I'll tell you this, we never, we never even got to our questions.
2: I got it. You, yeah. you actually read my mind because this, this is like this is like, you know, having like, you know, so much fun for an hour. Like, you know, when you have. You meet someone and it's just the hour goes by, I was thinking, I don't want this to end. So absolutely. So um,
1: thank you, Dr. Penn. It's
2: been it's been a pleasure. So I'll, I'll just wait to hear from you.
1: All right, we're going to definitely do part two, and I know everybody's on a time crunch, but I want to make sure that everybody knows how to reach you. I want everybody to know about your amazing book because I've read it several times over.
2: Uh, my, <laughs> so well,
1: please, I'm actually my...
2: writing my second book right now, but but yes, my, but my uh, my first book is I can't believe my life has come to this.
1: Amazing <laughs> book, <laughs> Doctor Nash. That sounds like a movie. Amazing. I can't I believe my wife has come it's to this. so good. It's so you know, good. I, I,
2: figured, I figured back in the day when they had bookstores, if I was looking at the self-help book, that title would speak to me. Um, oh, yeah. And my, and, <laughs> and my website is com.
0: How do you get that awesome. book? Is it Amazon or where do you get Amazon the book? get
2: it to, yeah. It's a fun book.
1: It's it's really Dr. Nassif, I can't say enough amazing things about it. It's so good. It stays in my handbag, actually. <laughs> well, wow. listen,
0: it's a pleasure meeting you. We look forward to part two. Very good. And um,
1: thank you, Dr. Penn.
0: And you listen. You take care of yourself. And um, uh, you know our closing statements always are, uh, Mackenzie. How do people find you?
1: Pretty much all handles of social media at M Westmore, Dr. Nassif.
0: Dr. Paul Nassif, Dr. Paul Nassif. Look at that. That's sweet
1: And as always, everybody, please send your questions in. We love those questions. If you have questions for um, Dr. Penn, Dr. Nassif, myself, please send them in. Um, hit us up on uh, Demystify Beauty on Instagram or on YouTube. And until next time, thank you, gentlemen.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to Demystify Beauty produced by Gotham Production Studios. If you have any questions for future episodes, please don't hesitate to reach out to us on Instagram at demystifybeauty or email us at demystifybeauty at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. See you next time.